This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by New Relic. This week, I chat with Tyler McMullen about serverless compute at the edge. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 84. I'm Jeremy Daly, and this is Serverless Chats. Today, I'm chatting with Tyler McMullen. Hey, Tyler, thanks for joining me. Hey, Jeremy, nice to see you. So you are the CTO at Fastly, so I'd love to know uh, a little bit about your background and what Fastly does. Well, I'll start with what Fastly does. Uh, Fastly is an edge cloud platform. Uh, so what that ends up meaning is that we, uh, we help people to move their content as well as their like logic, their actual programs out to run on the edge of the network. Um, the whole goal of that is to make things much faster for your users, better user experience, as well as much more resilient. Um, and you know, it's a it's a really actually like a super exciting place to be, in my opinion. Uh, you know, I, I got into, you know, we 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 founded Fastly. Oh wow, ten years ago now, maybe more. Can't remember off the top of my head now. Uh, but it's been a while, and I remember getting into it specifically because Arthur, who was our uh, CEO and our like primary founder, came to me and he was like, "Hey, I have this idea. It's like a content delivery network, but uh, but it's more like an edge computing network." And I was working at a startup at the time, and I said, "That sounds extremely exciting." Like as like a distributed systems nerd, that was just oh man, it's catnip to me. Right. Uh, and so for the last ten years, it's continued to be exciting. Um, that's how, kind of how it got started there. Awesome. And what about your background? My background is, uh, you know, I was just a kid who taught myself to program um, and got into uh, got got started working when I was about 16 years old and just kind of never stopped. Uh, I kind of skipped the whole college thing and just hopped from startup to tech company to startup. <laughs> Awesome. Well, so I'm a huge fan of serverless as you know, again, I do a serverless podcast, so it's probably quite obvious to people. Um, but one of the things that I am absolutely fascinated with is the idea of serverless computing at the edge, right? Which is one of these things that Fastly is doing. Um, and I just think that there's a possibility that this could be sort of the future of serverless computing, right? Like no more you know, data centers or things like that or regions. Uh, it's just like right at the edge and as close as possible um, you know, that we could get, you know, could get to the user that is actually interacting with this stuff. So, so obviously a huge challenge, right? Lots of, um, lots of things that need to be done to make that happen. But I think what would be great for the listeners is if we just take a step back and, and kind of explain exactly what we mean by compute at the edge. Sure, sure. So it's, a good, it's, it's actually a great question because this is something that, uh, that keeps coming up. Like for years, I have been like trying to explain exactly like what is edge computing, right? And the problem is that like, everybody has a different opinion as to what exactly it means, right? right? And I think the the ultimate problem is that like, depending on who you talk to, like that person is like familiar with or working on one particular like line, like one particular like, uh, uh, like edge effectively of that network, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're talking to someone who works at a telecom, they're going to talk about 5G and about how like, you know, it means like, you know, servers inside of uh, cell towers effectively, right? Um, Meanwhile, you talk to like a traditional, say, like ops person, you know, you talk to like an ops person from the 90s, right? 
Um, the way that they think about the edge is actually the edge of their own network, right? It's kind of the like the border between their autonomous system and like the rest of the network, the rest of the internet, right? Um, you talk to me, you're going to talk like we're going to talk about like you know uh, metro area data centers as well as like even more narrow ones. You talk to any, anyway, the list goes on and on, right? right? And so to me, I think it's actually kind of uh, it, it, the problem is actually, in my opinion, in the word. It, it's the problem is the word edge, right? Because it implies a line. It implies like a specific point within the network. And I don't think that's actually true, right? Because if you think about like all of these different places um, that we're talking about, like having computation, they all have really important similarities in their models, right? And the point is that it's not the client. It's not like actually like the person that you're interacting with. And it's also not within your own like specific data center. It's not within your core computing, right? And everything in between there has a certain set of problems. It means that you don't necessarily have direct access to a database. Right. It means that you probably have to think about doing things in a little bit more of a stateless way. It means that you need to think about doing things at like high performance, right? Um, and so I think that when we talk about edge computing, what we're really talking about is computing in the middle. It's between you and like your, your data center and your actual client. Right. Yeah, and I and I think about it a lot. Like I try to I try to look at it like a CDN, right? And I, I think of you know something like a Cloudflare or even um, you know CloudFront with AWS, right? Where they have all these points of presence all over the world. Um, and and generally, I mean, even Akamai and some of these other ones that have been around for a really long time, um, you know, thinking about you store some sort of static asset somewhere at the edge, right? So it's a PDF that people can download, or it's a it's an image that loads faster. Or what's been really cool happening now is a lot of the stuff with Jamstack, where they're putting, you know, uh, HTML pre rendered HTML pages on the edge. Um, and yeah. so things are just loading insanely fast. But the idea of finding somewhere to do compute where actually you can do run some sort of business logic and that business logic might be as simple as saying, you know, do I route them to the login page or do I route them to, you know, uh, a, a sign, I mean, a, a sign in page or whatever it is, right? Like I route them somewhere differently. Um, but the logic could be much more complex as well. Um, and that's kind of what's interesting to me is, is if you think about it as sort of a CDN but with compute, um, then that unlocks a lot of really powerful use cases. So I'm just curious what, you know, where you see edge computing, you know, I guess maybe uh, a mixture of what we just talked about, you know, some sort of hybrid of the definition, um, where you see edge computing um, sort of integrating with what you think of as a traditional CDN. Oh, that's, that's not where I thought you were going with that question. Oh. That's really cool. Yeah, this is great. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's the, I think it's like the mirror of it, right? Like you talk about a CDN, you're talking about moving the content, right? And now we're talking about moving the logic that generates the content, right? Right. Um, and so like the integration there, I think is actually gonna be, end up being, for a lot of folks, super tight. Like it's actually, in my opinion, going to be pretty hard to have a like proper, like, you know, widely used edge compute network right. without actually having a CDN attached to it, right? Um, and I think there's a bunch of different reasons for that. One of them is that like, you know, almost by its own definition, you're going to end up running the same code repeatedly, right? If we're talking about like an HTTP, like a, like a website of some kind or an API of some kind, you're going to be like loading the same things repeatedly. Just realistically, that's how the internet works. There tends to be like a tail for like a, like a, you know, a spike in a tail for like how content is accessed on the right. internet. Um, and so like, you know, when we're talking about putting servers out at like the edges of the network, we're almost certainly talking about a limited resource of some kind. 
right? Like if you're talking about, you know, say, you know, a, a big, big data, like, um, you know, uh, you know, machine learning type of thing, like, you know, where you need a large amount of, um, of compute power to do it, you're not doing that at the edge of the network, right? You're not learning, you're not doing like training models at the edge right. of the network. And the reason for that is because it's a lot more expensive to have servers in downtown Tokyo than it is to have them in like the middle of the desert in Utah, for instance, right? Um, and so coming back to it, like, ultimately, like, you're going to need to be doing quite a bit of caching, you're going to need to store data. So you're not having to like, repeat the same things over and over and over again. I think, uh, to me, that's like one of the key reasons why you the two are almost inseparable, in my opinion. Right? Yeah, I mean, and I like the idea of, you know, again, the caching aspect of it of being able to cache those static assets, whether they're HTML, or I mean, with compute added to it, there's a lot that you could do to those static files that were cached where you wouldn't need to make those home runs and you wouldn't need to do that. And you could use things that were local to that particular CDN or that particular pop. Um, anyways, I find that fascinating, but I, I think there are a lot of different use cases and I'd be really interested sort of hear from you, like what are some of the use cases that you see people doing with compute at the edge and maybe what are some of the, the ones that will eventually open up? Yeah, yeah. So I think this is, you know, this is similar to like any other like new technology that comes out, you're going to have like, the initial use cases, which we're going to think are really cool. And then eventually, in like a couple of years, you're going to get the ones that are actually the real killer use cases that right. we didn't even think of yet. Um, but like, so a lot of the a lot of the initial ones are really simple. They're simple things that make a big difference in user like and user, you know, perception of performance, right? So for instance, um, you know, if, if instead of having to go all the way back uh, to your centralized data center for every piece of data. Well, what if, you know, I actually have 90% of that data because it's static data that's already sitting at the edge of the network. And now I just have to go grab that 10%, or maybe I can feed you some of that while like gathering the, like the remaining stuff. So, um, you know, a lot of people think about like, a, 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 a think about how to put this better way to put this is like, imagine like running a, a GraphQL server that runs at the edge, you get one request, which actually fans out to multiple different requests, most of them are already cached. And so you're dealing with a much smaller amount of latency, a much smaller amount of variability in latency, I think, mm -hmm. most particularly, um, you'll also see quite a bit of like page rendering at the edge, in my opinion, right, a lot of that static data is already there. So why, why send down two different responses? Why send down multiple different responses? Let's just smash it together right there at the edge. And it's down. Um, longer term, I think we're going to see all sorts of wild stuff. Like, so one of the ones that we worked on internally, just as a prototype, as like a little idea, like a little, is, uh, is actually games at the edge. Mm -hmm. So what if you could use, uh, an edge compute network to do not only like, you know, uh, matchmaking of games, but to actually store the state of an ongoing game. And so right. one of the, one of our like little hack day projects that we had was doing a multiplayer version of doom that ran at the edge. Nice. And it's actually fast. It works. It's really cool to be able to like get a bunch of people together to play Doom um, and have all of the state actually just sitting there at the edge, ready to go. Right? Uh, you can get much closer to like, you know, a a real time type of environment than you could typically with like a, a traditional game network. Right. Yeah. No. And I and I love some of those ideas. I mean, one of the things you said about. Um, you know, you, you maybe can request, you know, 90% of the, the things you need are, are local or cash, and then you have to go out and get that other 10%. I think about asynchronous processes that you could kick off where you could say, you know, a user goes to a particular page, and then you could say the likely place they're going to go next is going to be, you know, X page or something like that. So now Indeed. you could preemptively fetch pages and make sure those are loaded into the cache for things like that. Now, of course, 
you know, with the GraphQL example, um, that's an interesting use case because think about the just the complexity of that request too, like knowing when to fetch it from local cache versus when to fetch it from a home run exactly. and things like that. So uh, that opens up a lot of, uh, you know, probably a lot of uh, interesting challenges there. Yeah, yeah, no, fully agree. Uh, the, the other one I wanted to bring up is actually like security, compliance, privacy related right. things, right? So one, that's one of the hardest things for us to deal with. And we keep seeing the like the ramifications of this not being done particularly well in our industry. Um, but like, imagine being able to have a single, like a single layer of your network to be able to do all of that, right? To be able to say, actually, that's a password. I've seen that it's a password. Mm -hmm. That definitely can't be printed out in like, um, in, a, in plain text within this page, or being able to confirm that certain data just isn't leaving a particular layer of the network. It gives you a single point at which, um, which is, you know, I, I say single point, but it's actually spread across the world. But it gives you a single deployment point for you to be able to say, this is our last chance. This is the point before you actually get to the end user. Right. Um, I think it's going to end up being a really powerful like security tool for people. So. So speaking about all around the world, right? So this is one of the things that is sort of really interesting about edge computing or just even CDNs, the idea of replicating this to these points of presence, right? These pops that are all around the world. And the question is, or the question I have for you, because I've read all of this stuff, and I am not an edge, uh, an edge uh, expert in any way, shape or form, but I, I try to read up on this stuff because I find it uh, fascinating. Uh, and, and one of the things I've seen is, you know, companies like Verizon and even AWS partnering with other people um, doing the 5G thing, like putting, you know, compute or, or pops on the cell phone towers. Um, and I, I guess my question for you is, how close do we actually need to get to the customer? Um, because that's pretty insane if you can do, you know, if you're, I mean, again, we'll get to the data piece in a minute, but if you're able to do compute and pull data from the cell phone tower that's a mile down the street versus having to route it to, um, you know, somewhere on the, the west coast of the U.S. or, uh, uh, you know, North Virginia or something like that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that is wild. Uh, I, I have actually heard even uh, even some even wilder ones where I, there was one person pitching me on the idea of putting uh, servers inside of light poles inside in, in neighborhoods um, where I'm like, why? Right, why? <laughs> so there are undoubtedly going to be use cases where that kind of thing like is actually useful, right? And the, the trouble with it though, is that it had like there's going to be such limited computing power in mm -hmm. these places, such limited storage in these places. Um, and in order to make it worthwhile for you to use these, whatever you're doing has to be something that is not just for one particular users there, right? This has got to be something where it is actually like so popular and so important that like it is worth it for you to spread this to say tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of locations around the world. My argument is that. Metro area, city layer, like city area, um, basically being within say like 15 milliseconds, 10 to 15 milliseconds of users is plenty for the vast majority of use cases. Mm -hmm. Now I could be proven wrong about that, you know, 10 years down the line, 15 years down the line, when we come up with like some wild new use cases that require you to be within like, you know, a hundred microseconds of where your end user is. But that's not what we're seeing right now. Um, yeah. we'll undoubtedly see some specific use cases where this is like very valuable. Um, but that's, that's to me, not, not the most important form of edge computing. And that, and that's why, right. Cause like you can find use cases for something like what we're developing with computed edge for nearly any site. Like you can use this to make nearly any site faster. Right. Um, 
it's going to be a lot harder, in my opinion, for these like, uh, for like the cell tower layer ones. You know, and there's actually a bunch of other reasons why it gets concerning as well. Like, you know, one of the things that uh, people trust Fastly quite a lot to be able to handle their private data. Like we, we own or like we, we hold TLS keys for a lot of our customers, right? And so it's really important for us to have like incredibly strong security to be able to keep that sort of thing safe so that, you know, your connections can't be snooped on. It's a lot harder to keep 100,000 locations safe than it is to keep right. uh, to keep keep the number of locations that we have safe, right? Um, you know, you cannot you can't say as uh, as many you can't make as many strong guarantees about like the security of a cell tower as you can about like you know a uh, uh, you know heavily guarded data center that is like right. nearby in your town. Right, and and I guess you know one of my questions is when I when I see people wanting to do those things like putting them in the cell phone tower like it sounds really cool and I, and I, and there are probably use cases for that um oh, you yeah. know the idea of like self-driving cars for example that maybe need to ping a network or something like that i mean or the remote surgery although i don't know how much that would use edge networks but things where maybe 15 milliseconds isn't enough um i mean do you see there being use cases where there's just some extremely low latency that's needed Sure. I mean, it's certainly possible. Um, I, I mean, I do like, uh, I have very mixed feelings about the whole self-driving car pinging the network thing. Yeah. Like to me, if it requires, if your, if your car requires the network to go like to move safely, oh man, we're going to have some real troubles in the future. Um, there again, I think there's definitely going to be some use cases. I don't see them at the moment though. Um, maybe that's lack of imagination on my part, but, uh, but you know, we'll see what happens. Right. Well, anyways, I mean, I do think that there are probably use cases, not necessarily to drive, but for like traffic updates or if there's no accidents, doubt. things like, you know, things that would um, would potentially. Although, again, 15 milliseconds is exactly fast. So that, that's that's exactly where I go back to. As soon as people bring those things, I'm like, do you really need it in half a, half a millisecond rather than 10? Right. Probably yeah. very true. Um, all right. Awesome. So, so the other thing I think that happens with this, and again, you mentioned, you know, sort of securing hundreds of, of data centers or hundreds of, you know, cell phone towers or, or these smaller pops or whatever, um, that gets really, you know, sort of difficult from a security standpoint. Sure. But what about just from a, I guess, you know, from, for building applications, like how does the idea of now moving compute to the edge, how does that affect sort of, I guess, the future of, of distributed applications? Yeah, this is a great topic. And I think that no one really knows the answer to this yet. We're working on this. Um, so I think there's going to be a few stages to this. You know, the first one is kind of where we're at now, where people think of the edge as like, it's, it's, it's a proxy of some right. kind, right? Like you think of it the same way as you might think about like, you know, oh, well, I'm gonna put some logic into my Nginx server that will run across all of my microservices that are behind it or something like that, right? Uh, or my into my ELB or something. Um, I think that over time, what we are going to see, and we're already starting to see this actually with, um, with some of the ideas that are coming out now, uh, is people starting to think about the edge as just part of their application, right? In the same way, and like, here's, here, here's why I believe this, like in the same way that people now think about like the client as part of their application, like that's not how we thought about the client a long time ago. Like I, I, I was a developer back in the nineties. Like I remember how we thought about browsers, right? And like the browser was the dumb thing, right? Like right. it was essentially a dumb terminal. And like, you know, you would do all of the rendering, all of everything back at the server layer and the browser was just there so that the user had something pretty to look at, right? Um, and then over time, that's 
not how we think about the, the client anymore, right? Like front-end development is real development. It's like just as hard and just as serious as like back-end development these days. Um, and so I think, yeah, no, <laughs> you could definitely make that argument. You'd probably be right. Um, and so I think that's, we're, we're kind of in the early stage of that with edge computing at the moment where people still kind of think about it as like, well, it's just this, you know, I can run like little bits of code there. Right. But at a certain point, we're going to get to the, the where, let me, let me step back. Like what I really, what I really want people to think about uh, with this is about like, where is the most efficient, advantageous place for me to run this code? And for some things that's on the client and for some things that's in a data center somewhere, some places it's in a database somewhere. Right. But there's going to be a large swath of things where the edge is actually the correct answer to that. Right. Like where if you're not needing to do like in some ways, I actually want to think about it as like being as close to the user as possible should be the default. Right. If you can run something on the client and it's a powerful enough client, it makes a ton of sense to just run that code there because it's right, right next to the user. Right. Um, and so unless there's a strong reason not to like moving things as close to them as we can, I think is actually going to be a pretty important development over the next next few years. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, I just, my concern is, and it's less of a concern and more of a, like a, we don't know yet, is how does this affect how we've learned to build distributed applications over the course of the last, you know, sort of five to 10 years, right? Like we, it was always like, you know, you start off building monoliths and then we get into the cloud and then we start building distributed systems and we're getting better and better at that. And then all of a sudden we're like hyper distributed systems now because we want to put them, you know, we want to replicate our applications, you know, closer to the client. So, I mean, I have a whole list of things that this affect and I would love to go through it, but like, just let's start with your existing code base. Like, what does this mean for your existing applications? Like, what do you think a migration to edge computing even looks like? Yeah. So again, I think this is like, initially is going to look like, um, well, okay. So, I mean, let's think about like a traditional, like application architecture, right? Um, I, I came from the Ruby world back in the day. It's been a long time since I've done any Ruby and Rails or anything like that, uh, but that's where I came from. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times we had, uh, we would have what we referred to as middlewares um, mm -hmm. and things that would be running like kind of between, uh, between like the, the actual like web server itself and like the core business logic, right? And so if you think about it like that and go like, okay, well, those would probably be the easiest things for me to try to moving out to the edge, right? If there's just a thing that is say like completely stateless, that is just processing a request and modifying it, transforming it along the way, like that's, that's a really easy thing to move out there. Um, and I think that like, you know, when we start thinking about like the architecture of like React apps, for instance, like mm -hmm. there's going to be some really easy wins with that, um, with like a server-side rendering and things like that, that doesn't actually need to be inside of the core application, doesn't need direct access to the database, for instance, to be able right. to do it. Um, but over time, I think the thing, the, the limiting factor is of course going to be like the lack of, again, direct access to your database or really like the lack of like a really strong stateful system to work with, right? right? Um, and I think, that what's going to end up happening with that is that we're going to have to modify the way that we think about our data, right? Like suddenly the, man, this is, this is something I've been thinking about for a long time. It is like, it, it's, it's a really tough problem, right? Cause you have, we have good solutions for what to do with, uh, with problems with, with architectures that cannot have a strongly consistent 
database that can't have a strongly consistent distributed system and instead have to be eventually consistent because of the distribution mechanisms happening with. Um, the problem is that they're not all like, they don't naturally fit the way that we as humans think about problems, right? They're all like these eventually consistent ideas, which you have to imagine like multiple different things happening concurrently and like how these things merge together or don't merge together. And like, you know, things happening in different orders in different places, right? Like they're, they're tough to get our heads around, I think. Um, and so I think one of the things that's going to have to happen is that we're going to end up having to develop um, like almost use case specific versions of these things right? right so you can you can imagine like say oh i don't know like like a session store that exists at the edge of the network well even that is actually complicated right like you know you think about that as like one of the more simple things that a uh, that like a, a web application can do is just oh okay like i have some data that goes along with the session easy enough right well when we're talking about the edge of the network we're talking about thousands of servers Correct. right and we're talking about a like a user that may be like actually in motion like driving. Yes, I was thinking right. the same exact or on an airplane. Exactly. Right. And so you could be connecting to one data center, you could be connecting to one server in one data center even, and then next request, you're somewhere else. Right. right. And so that data actually has to move along with you for something like a session store. Um, and there's going to be other use cases where that isn't the case. And we have other constraints that come up. Um, I think that's, that's going to be the trickiest part of this whole thing, though, right? Like, you know, I, I spent the last three, four years working on our computed edge product, like this yeah. specific version of our computed edge product. Um, and I had like, I, I commented to someone recently that like, I thought I was doing the hard part. <laughs> Turns out the hard <laughs> part is actually gonna be the state, right? Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, but ultimately, again, kind of coming back to what I was saying before, like, you know, how, how we develop applications is gonna have to change, I think, in order to take full advantage of this kind of system. And I think, I think that it's worth it though, right? If, again, coming back to the idea of like, you know, what if you had the ability to just say like, you know, I want to deploy this piece of code to the place on the network where it is most efficient to run, where it has everything that it needs and nothing it doesn't and is as close to the user as it can be. Right. Um, that's a pretty powerful concept to me. Um, I think that, you know, in addition to the state opening things up, uh, if we can find ways to decompose our applications into smaller components, mm -hmm. that's going to make a big difference here as well. Like moving an entire application, like, you know, wholesale from like inside of your data center to outside of your data center, that's a big ask, right? right? But if I can say, well, my application is actually composed of these 16 things or these 32 things, well, cool. I can, you know, pick and choose the ones that actually belong here and that like are communicating amongst each other and have minimal communications across the wire. Like, that's going to be really cool if we can get to that stage. Hey, everyone. I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, New Relic. If you're building modern applications, then you've got an incredibly complex architecture, which means monitoring it takes a dozen different tools. And troubleshooting means jumping between data silos and dashboards. We all know the pain, and New Relic wants to change that. New Relic's designed everything you need in three products. Telemetry Data Platform holds all your data from any source. Full Stack Observability gives you one place to analyze, visualize, and troubleshoot your whole stack. And Applied Intelligence gives you automated detection and incident intelligence. Best of all, they're bucking the industry's love of complicated pricing to keep things simple, 
and predictable. No more host-based pricing and no more constant upsells for more functionality. And they're giving you one user and 100 gigabytes per month completely free. Check it out at newrelic.com. Observability made simple. I wanted to ask you about the data because that's one of the things where like I, I can I can understand and I can wrap my head around building small reusable components that can be deployed to the edge. Cause I do a lot of that sort of with serverless where, you know, again, you're building, you know, small bits of compute, you're separating those things. Um, you, you're understanding how each one of those things interacts differently. You have to understand how you communicate between functions if that's something you need to do. Um, and so that's something that makes a lot of sense to me. The state aspect of it though, is just really, really hard to wrap your head around because even if you're doing something like a DynamoDB global replication or something like that, you yep. pick which re regions you want it to replicate to, but it replicates all your data. And in the you know the example that you gave of the session store, if I log in and I'm you know uh, in Boston, Massachusetts, and then I drive down to uh, Providence or something like that, and then make my way down to somewhere in Connecticut, I've I've now passed multiple metro areas that my data has to follow along with me. But under normal circumstances, maybe one, maybe my closest pop is fine. But you certainly don't want to replicate data from a user in Dublin to uh, you know, a user in New York City um, if that user is never going to be near that pop. So <laughs> understanding what data needs to get replicated, understanding you know, when when you purge data and things like that, even what regions you might want to replicate to, again, compliance, security, all kinds of reason, reasons like that. Um, that's just a really, that is the hard part, I think. I totally agree I with you so. on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's going to be some use cases where like replicating it all over the world is actually the right answer, right? right. Um, but that's, for certain I think, things, not, sure. For certain things, right? Yeah. That, I don't think that's going to be the common case though, right? Um, and like, for instance, yeah, exactly as you were talking about, like having a session store for one user that's replicated all over the world makes no sense, right? It shouldn't actually be replicated anywhere until, of course, that user moves in some right. way. And um, so there's definitely going to have to, like, if I, you know, immediately start thinking about, <laughs> obviously, like as an engineer, I immediately start thinking, well, how would I actually do that? Thing? How would you solve that? <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Like, and it's almost certainly going to require some like collaboration with the client where the client remembers where it was right. and can tell yeah. wherever it connects to like, oh, by the way, I used to be over here, mm -hmm. right? And so now your local one forever we, for wherever you are now can then go, oh, okay, cool. Like, let me go back and like get the state that was associated with this user. Right. Um, I think, and like state itself is also gonna be in it. Like, what does state actually mean, right? Are we talking about like some, like, are we talking about a MySQL database, right? Are we talking about MongoDB? I, right. I, like there is actually like multiple ways to think about this, right? So for instance, uh, one, one of my favorite systems that has been developed in the last like 10 years um, is uh, something referred to as Microsoft Orleans, right? Uh, are you familiar with this by I'm any chance? not, no. Entirely fair, there's no reason you should be. But it was the system that <laughs> ran the like matchmaking and users uh, for Halo 2, Halo 2 or Halo 3, one or the other, I can't quite remember now. Um, and one of the one of the ideas that they introduced in there was the concept of um, durable actors. They, they mm -hmm. introduced the concept of durable actors. And the whole idea here was that like every user, every individual player had a program that was running for them at all times, right? And so if they're not connected, what the what what happens is essentially like that program gets serialized and stored. And as soon as they reconnect, like, okay, we just break that program like in its paused state, mm -hmm. like out of storage and like they're right back where they started, right? Um, 
there's there's just so many really cool ideas for this right like mm -hmm. so you could effectively like if we were to go down some path like that you know you can imagine like essentially you have a program for you on some particular website that has been running maybe for years at that point right and it just keeps getting reconstituted whenever you come and log back in um there's a, there's definitely going to be some interesting ideas that come out over the next few years. We we we're working on some of them anyway. <laughs> right. They're going to there's going to need to be because again, I that's one of those things where I'm just like how does it how does it work? And and I think what that sort of opens up to as well is I mean, the data piece of it is one thing. Um but uh, and the security piece and compliance, that's another thing. But what about like operations teams, right? Like we still, even in a serverless world, you know, some people talk about no ops. That's not really a thing. You still need no. to understand <laughs> your infrastructure. You still need to, um, you know, worry about security and compliance and do all those things that operations people need to do. Um, you know, how are operations people going to start dealing with, you know, thousands of pops around the world or how does it affect them? Oh, man. Yeah, no, this is this is tricky. Again, I think this is one of those ones where like we are still in the early days of edge computing, right? Because we don't have or like not many folks have great answers to these questions yet. Um, there's definitely going to be new patterns that come out. There's going to have to be new patterns because the things that we do now aren't going to work when we're talking about something like this. Like, you know, what does it mean to be able to like, you know, attach a debugger to a program that is running inside of a server in Mongolia? Right. right. Uh, like maybe that's actually possible. We, we have we have a prototype of something like that working. Right. But like but like, is that actually the right way to do it? You know, and or do we just fall back on printf debugging? And like, how does observability work inside right, of that's, this? Like, I was going to ask the same thing, because, again, you think about that. It's hard enough to observe distributed applications, you know, when they're running in one region and one data center, um, spread that out across the world. What does that look like? Right, right. Well, and then and not only that, right, but like coming back to what I said about like, you know, being able to break applications into components to be able to run them across multiple different layers of the network, right? right? So if your application is broken into 16 different components, well, good luck observing that at the moment, right? <laughs> um, so this is going to require a lot of work from us and a lot of work from any other like edge cloud uh, provider that, you know, uh, comes onto the scene. Um, but we're going to require it's going to, you know, we, we've already developed some um, integrations with, you know, folks like Datadog um, and, and Honeycomb and so on, being able to like mm -hmm. feed data directly back down to them. Um, but it's also going to be about like, you know, okay, so if I have multiple components, if I have multiple hops that are happening here, I want to be able to see what's happening between these different places. What, right. you know, where did this request go wrong? Where did it get routed to the wrong place? Where did like the data get corrupted or something like that? Um, and I think that's actually going to come back to distributed tracing, right? Like it's right. something that we we all know this, you know, we've been, you know, this, is, this isn't a new concept, but I think it's going to be so much more important than it was a few years ago, right? It, you know, it was kind of a novelty, for, I think, for a lot of companies, for a right. lot of people who are working on it. And like, I don't think it's going to be a novelty anymore. <laughs> no, it'll just be table stakes for, yeah, exactly. any, you know, cloud computing. So, uh, so the other thing, though, again, observability and being able to sort of debug is one thing. But what about just like the overall developer experience or just like global deployments, right? So I know a lot of these edge networks now, you know, you deploy one place and it automatically replicates. And, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, with CDNs, it's pretty easy. You just, you know, publish to the origin and then everything picks up from there. Um, sure. So those types of global deployment strategies, um, you know, how are those going to be similar with compute and then mix in the data aspect of it and say, you know, how do I know this, this node of my compute can access this type of data or can't or so forth? I mean, that seems like that's a, a pretty hairy problem as well. Yeah, that's definitely a hairy problem. 
I mean, I think it's not actually that dissimilar though from trying to do a big deploy on, like trying to do a deploy onto like a big uh, cluster of machines as it exists right. today, right? You know, you may have like a thousand app servers for some companies out there. And like, you already have to deal with the fact that some of them are always going to be out of date. Some of them are going to be broken. Some of them, and even just when you're doing a deploy, there's going to be this wave that goes through the whole thing. Right. Um, so I, I don't actually think it's that dissimilar. I think we actually, this is like possibly the one place where we do have the tools to be able to do yeah. it right now. <laughs> but what about, um, but what about like, but like canary deployments and rollbacks and things like that? I mean, that, that's certainly, uh, I mean, I guess you can just roll back by redeploying essentially, but, um, sure. but it, it does seem like there's that there is more tooling and, and more sort of thought that still, there's still a little bit of thought that needs to be put into this probably. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. I mean, in some ways, I think we actually have like kind of a fun advantage with this. You want to do canary deploys? Well, you know, we could actually start rolling out your application slowly throughout oh, the right. entire network, right? You know, you put it on one, let it run for a minute, put it on two more, and then like kind of let it epidemically spread. Sorry to, you know, reference epidemics at the moment, <laughs> but like, you know, let, let it spread throughout the network in that right. way. Um, yeah, yeah. The developer experience question, though, that you brought up is such a is such an interesting one because, like, you know, this is something that we talk about internally quite a bit. You know, we had we had a internal like engineering summit a few months back, and you know, at the end of at the end of my personal talk that I was giving in there, I brought up uh, a couple things that I was I'm worried about, right? That I'm like, we don't necessarily know like how to do this thing yet, and I think it's super important. And one of those is the the developer experience for it, like. It's one thing to be able to say like, great, like, you know, three steps, you can have something deployed at the edge, right? But like, that's not really the same thing as building an entire application from scratch or right. like breaking apart an existing application and spreading it onto the network and spreading it across multiple layers. Um, I don't think anybody has the answers to this yet. I think it's gonna require some new technology to do it. Um, and so that's that's something that my team inside of Fastly is working on at the moment um, is like, especially in the WebAssembly world, like, you know, do we have do we have the tools that we need there to be able to you know take these take take multiple different components and have them work together seamlessly without it feeling like you know every hop is like a new network hop for you effectively so i do want to talk about uh WebAssembly, but before we get there um a couple other things sort of on like you know sort of big questions and these are more these are like um uh, maybe some of these are theoretical at this point but Things sure. like regional compliance, right? So, um, you know, picking and choosing where or what pops your applications and your data replicates to, like, is that something you see as, you know, is, I mean, a, a problem that, that you're solving it fastly or something that, you know, you will be solving? Right. Um, I don't, I don't want to say yet whether or not that's something that we are actively trying to solve or will solve. Um, but I do think it's like actually a really interesting problem that is likely not going away anytime soon, right? Like, you know, we've, we've been dealing with this for a number of years in terms of like, say, China and like, you know, European uh, laws, as well as like, you know, we've seen pushes for this inside of the US as well as inside of like places like Australia, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, regardless of what you specifically think about like those laws, uh, they're clearly not going away, right? Um, I think that edge computing is actually in kind of an amazing place to be able to help developers solve this problem for their users though. Um, and one of the reasons for that is because, you know, if we do have locations in all of these different places, like it makes it easy for you to say like, okay, this user is coming from there. 
their data can't follow them. Kind of harkening right. back to what we were talking about with that session earlier, you know, maybe your data follows you all the way through the US as you drive across, but then, you know, you hop on a plane and head over to, you know, Japan and maybe it doesn't follow you mm -hmm. over there. And okay, well, you know, that's fine. It just means it's going to take you a little bit longer to get it while you're over there, right? You're going to have to hop back over to the West Coast of the US to get it. Right. Um, and, you know, that's something that like would be really, really hard without without edge computing, without right, something like edge true. computing coming in, right? Um, being able to like serve users in all these different countries, it would be nearly impossible. Um, or at the very least, you're having to do a ton of the work yourself. Yeah. So I think this is something that like edge computing is poised to be able to solve for, pe for people. Um, but I, I don't want to say much more than that at the mm -hmm. moment. Well, I think it's I, I think it's interesting because what you potentially get there is um, a little bit of compute, even if it's that small small piece of compute that says whether or not a particular file can load or a particular document can load based off of region. Um, it's just much more accurate, or it seems more accurate than trying to guess people's location from their IP address, for example. Um, you know, especially when people are using proxies and things like that, where some of these other things are are harder to fool. So I think that's really interesting. And and then I guess one of the other questions I have around this too is we always get this question of vendor lock-in no matter what you're doing right so oh, i'm using aws so if i'm if i'm on serverless in, in aws i'm using lambda i'm locked in to lambda and for to some extent that's true but you're also locked into mysql or you know or mongo or some of these other things like you're sure. going to have to do some work to migrate um but i i find it interesting with the idea of edge compute where if you start spreading around compute you know to all these different places in the world um you know what if certain edge networks have better coverage in certain areas and you want to use multiple edge networks um you know intercommunication between them or interoperability you know, is this something where you see maybe standards developing around this so that not everybody's doing something different where, you know, there, there could be some way for maybe multiple networks to talk to one another? Oh, yeah. I, I'm so glad that you bring this up because this has been like the basis of our like strategy in this area. Like we recognize the fact that like building out an edge compute network is not something you can just do by yourself. Right. right? Like we're you know, we are we are one player in the space and I, I think we're the best player in the space. But like we're going to have to be able to work with each other. Right. And even, even going back to what I was saying with like the different layers of the network, right. When we're talking about like, you know, what if I can move a compute, like a piece of computation to where it runs best, right. Mm -hmm. Whether that's on the client or on the server or like, you know, somewhere in between, right. That is almost, almost certainly going to require like some sort of standard way of being able to have a piece of compute computation, a program and being able to run it in multiple different locations, um, and expect the same results, right? So this is why we have spent so much time on like uh, on the standards uh, around WebAssembly, right? Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm undoubtedly going to keep coming back to WebAssembly until we talk about it. Um, <laughs> but but the you know so there's WebAssembly itself. There is uh, WASI, which is the WebAssembly uh, system interface, um, which is where we are putting a lot of the effort on this like standardization thing. Um, and, you know, there are, there are already multiple different, uh, companies that are using that at the moment. Like my, my favorite, my personal favorite, one of these is actually Shopify. Mm -hmm. Um, Shopify has a, has a, uh, an early product that they have put out where you can run scripts of some kind within, uh, within like essentially working on your shop itself. Yeah. Um, and that thing is actually using WebAssembly. It's using some of the software that we wrote, and it's also using that WebAssembly system interface. And so in theory, anyway, like, in, you know, I, I can't say 100% if this is the case at the moment, but it will be soon if it's not, um, you know, you could have a piece, like a piece of software that runs on, you know, the Shopify platform that'll also run on the Fastly platform, 
that will also run in your browser. Right. That will also be able to run in the server as well, right? And so to me, I think that like standards are going to be super important for this. And that's why we're putting so much effort into that. So, so let's talk about WebAssembly then. Uh, then All right. we can go. We can go to some of the other <laughs> topics later. Um, so, Great. WebAssembly um, again, maybe if people aren't fully aware of what that is, why don't we? Uh, why don't you just give them a quick overview of what exactly WebAssembly is? Yeah, sure. So, WebAssembly is something that was developed uh, for browsers, actually, and so it was kind of a response to, you know, if you think back to like uh, some of your listeners might might be familiar with Native Client. That was uh, that existed in Google Chrome back in the mm -hmm. day, and so the the whole idea with this is that it was for running, um, running like existing like C and like you know machine code applications inside your browser. It was used for games and various other things. Um, some other folks came out with um, came out with Asm.js, right? Asm.js was a way of taking almost a response to that, being able to say, well, okay, that's fat, that's like cool and fast, but like, what if we could make JavaScript really fast? What if we could make it so? You compile that C application down to a JavaScript program with just like, you know, a few little tweaks in it, and it would be like nearly native speed. And then WebAssembly was essentially a response to that right. <laughs> and being able to say, okay, well, that was neat. And so was native client. But what if we made a standard way of doing this? What if we made a specific like machine code like language um, that we can compile and we can run as fast as like near native speed um, and can run in every browser, right? And so that's what WebAssembly was designed for initially. However, it, it's, it turns out it's actually great for things outside of the browser as well. Um, at its core, what it really is, is a like super fast, super uh, lightweight, um, super secure uh, uh, way of, um, I don't know, cross-platform language, right. right? And so if you have multiple different languages that can like target this one, then suddenly you have, uh, and you have a compiler that works for it. Suddenly you have a platform that works across multiple languages and multiple different like uh, servers. Right. And I think I think back to um, so you said you've been you know working on web in the '90s. So you're just as old as I am. Um, you remember Java applets, right? Running oh, in, yeah. <laughs> which so WebAssembly is like that, but not terrible. Um, you know, like it's very it's very That's cool. It actually works yeah. this time. Um, <laughs> I just remember how bad Java applets were, and everybody wanted to do them. Um, but yeah, so so WebAssembly is one of those things now where again compiling down to um, you know native right runs in extremely fast. Um, and I've always Always, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about browsers being those dumb clients, like you mentioned earlier. But you have all this compute power running on your laptop. Why not use some of it, right? And yeah. when you have to use something like JavaScript in order to do it, um, you know, you just run into all kinds of limitations. But with WebAssembly, it, it basically opens up that operating system in a way that um, you know you can you can use the full power of it to do a lot of work there. But then that same program or some variation of it, you know, runs. Uh, at the edge, it runs uh, in a data center. It can run, you know, anywhere, and it. Uh, so that's just fascinating to me. Exactly. So going back to this, you recently acquired, or or uh, fastly recently acquired, the Mozilla team that created WebAssembly, right? Uh, well, I wouldn't say acquired. We hired them. We um, hired them, but or yeah, you yeah. Hired them. Sorry, <laughs> but yeah. One of the one of the people on that team is is Luke Wagner, who was one of the co creators of WebAssembly. Yeah. Um, and so this was the team that was um, that was primarily working on their WebAssembly out of the browser projects. And so they were responsible for uh, CraneLift and WasmTime, which if you've been working with WebAssembly, those are like nearly ubiquitous at this point. You've probably heard of them. You've probably used them. Um, and, you know, when we 
we started chatting with them. We've been, we, you know, we were working with this team to create the Bytecode Alliance uh, a couple of years back, and we've been, we've been collaborating with them for a long time. And so, uh, you know, when we started talking, we realized that like, we're actually working, we're actually working toward exactly the same goal. Right. Um, and so, you know, when, when the Mozilla layoffs happened, um, and they were, they were happy to hop over and continue actually doing the same work that they were doing before, but now targeted at the edge instead of at like a more of a central location. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, they're a fantastic team. I, I think we were super lucky to get them. So now that you've you've brought that team in, um, you know, I, I'm I'm assuming that that WebAssembly is going to be a big part of Fastly moving forward. I think that would be a pretty good bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's kind of a fun story in itself. Like it's just you know, this started out as just you know a couple people working on it, like over a holiday break. Uh, a few years back, right? And, you know, you hire one person, two people. And then, and, you know, now we, we have like one of the, probably one of the largest WebAssembly teams that exist out there as, as well as one of the most experienced, probably the most experienced WebAssembly team out there at this point. Um, and so, yeah, we're, you know, it, it, is sim it is simultaneously very exciting to me to be able to like, you know, really get things done. Like, you know, Fastly historically wasn't a language company. We're not like, you know, historically, we're not like a company that produces compilers and so on, right? And so now we have like turned into a, you know, world-class, you know, place to be able to work on those sorts of problems. Right. Um, uh, but at the same time, like, I, I think that there's a lot of responsibility that comes along with that. Like we've hired up, like quite a few people who work in the WebAssembly world and who are responsible for the future of WebAssembly. And like, you know, I have no desire for it to turn into Fastly WebAssembly, right? right? Like right. this is WebAssembly needs to exist on its own. It needs to like, you know, even for our own benefit, like, you know, WebAssembly has to be a strong community, has to be like, you know, a, a really solid piece of technology um, that can't just be for Fastly. That wouldn't make sense for anybody. Right. Well, I think that's super interesting and and good for Fastly for picking up that project because again I I'm I, I I see that as as being another exciting step um you know for uh, for serverless computing as well just the ability yeah. again for to get that speed um you know that we're that we're looking for so sorry can I hop in there for a second yeah. so it, to me like you mentioned that like for the speed in particular and like I totally agree with that. I think to me, the thing that's actually even more exciting than that is like the ability, you know, kind of coming back to what we were talking about before is like the ability to be able to take a program uh, and run it just like wholesale, like just right. bop, bop, you know, whether it's on your serverless platform uh, that is running in a central cloud, whether or not it's in a regional area or whether or not it's like, you know, in a, in a cell tower somewhere right. or in the browser, right? Like that is such an exciting thing to me. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's jump back to uh, edge computing for a minute here, and uh, and one of the things that I think is is sort of interesting with the amount of compute you can currently do at the edge, um, it is very very small. Like I think fifty milliseconds, or I mean, depending on on which cloud it's on um, or which edge uh, provider. So, what are some of those limitations that you're going to see? You know, uh, you know, I guess edge computing versus um, uh, versus your traditional, you know, which is kind of crazy now. But I mean, you think about distributed computing, we're talking about hundreds of data centers probably anyways. Um, but edge computing versus sort of uh, the, uh, the, the data center approach or the cloud approach, um, you know, what are some of those limitations that you're going to see? And do you think that it kind of lends itself to this hybrid approach where some of the compute is done on the edge, but then maybe the more heavy stuff is done, you know, in a, in a cloud computing uh, data? Data center somewhere. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the limitations for a lot of the edge computing providers, including us right now, are, are very low, right? Like, that's just a thing. 50 milliseconds isn't a tremendous amount of time. But it turns out that for a lot of the things that, like, a lot of these initial use cases, it's actually enough, right? right. Um, when we're talking about doing, like, a GraphQL request, like, you know, the actual, like, computation time involved with that is should be relatively low. Um, you know, that's something that I think we'll see, like, lighten up over time, you know, you'll see this, uh, the, those numbers start to go up as people gain like operational experience with it. And as like, as the demand as well for like, you know, more computation time like increases. But I think that you actually hit the nail on the head with this actually being about a hybrid approach, right? Um, and the reason for this is that like, you know, it, does it actually make sense to do 30 seconds of like hardcore, like number crunching at the edge? like in someone's neighborhood, um, you know, where you have had to like, you know, buy up a little piece of real estate in order to put your server? Um, or does it make sense in some cases for that to actually fall back to, to a centralized data center where like, you know, you have those massive computers where you have like, you know, thousands of servers all running simultaneously. Um, I think that's going to be like, that's going to be a theme for the next couple of years is like, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier, is like, you know, where is the most efficient place for me to run this, right? Um, you know, are you actually need, do you actually really want to do 30 seconds of like hardcore computation at the edge? Right. Or I think, I think that like we are eventually going to see a lot of computations, a lot of the shorter computations moving out to the edge and a lot of those like heavier weight computations moving back, um, into like a centralized data center, right? Like that's, that seems like the natural progression to me. And I, I think that some of those use cases too are small bits of compute at the edge that maybe trigger um, larger compute jobs yes. asynchronously that then sort of prepare data so that it's easier to get or whatever it is. Um, you know, I think that's I think that's a, a potentially interesting um, way to think about it. Yeah, I think that's fair. But also, like, I think the other thing that that comes to mind to me is that, like, you know, if we are ten milliseconds away from your end user, right? And you're doing say 150 milliseconds of computation. Uh, let's, let's say half a second, let's say 500 milliseconds of computation. So now your total round trip, now your total time to do this is 10 milliseconds to get to you, 500 milliseconds to do the computation and 10 milliseconds back. So we're talking about 520 milliseconds. You know, your actual data center might only be 200 milliseconds away from that user, right? So is the savings of time worth it? in this right. case. And I think this is going to end up being that balance that like comes out. Yeah, and that comes down to intelligent sort of networks too, right? Like being able to yeah. understand what's the closest one. Um, so speaking about networks, um, this is a very big market, right? Like a lot of people are getting into this. So Fastly has been around for quite some time, um, but you have, you know, Cloudflare and Akamai and AT&T, the mobile companies yeah. getting into it. Um, you know, there's a bunch of them. So um, you know, I guess maybe my question here is who's going to, and maybe you can't answer this, but I just, I, I like to think of these bigger questions here, like, but who's going to win? Is it, is it the hyperscalers? Is it going to be, um, you know, is it going to be the telco providers like the Verizons and the AT&T, or, or is it going to be more neutral providers you think like, like a Fastly? I mean, I know you sure. hope you win, but I mean like, or is it just going to be a combination of everybody working together? You know, uh, I, I am an optimistic type of dude, <laughs> like a, I'm very kumbaya, I guess I guess you say, <laughs> like, I think that it's almost necessarily going to have to be everybody. Like in order for this thing to work, we are going to have to learn to work together on it. Like uh, one of the things I say a lot internally is like, uh, we, I don't want to compete 
over the basics. I don't want to compete over like who is able to run WebAssembly. I don't want to compete over who is able to run an edge computing network at all. I want us all to be able to do that. And then like once, once we have all reached this like level of like, okay, now users can actually use all of these different things. Let's compete over the features on top of that. Right. Like competing over like the ability to like do basic stuff isn't good for users. No one wants that. Um, you know, that's, that's, I think a lot of the times how we think about like standardization work as well. Right. It's like, you know, we want to bring some of our, like, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if I would say competitors, but some of the folks who are also in this space, we want to bring them along with us right. and be able to say, look, like, we're not just developing this for us. We're developing this for everybody. And like, cool, like you deploy this too. And then great. Let's compete over what we do with it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, it's funny. <laughs> Cause I, I almost look at, um, I look at, edge computing almost as like another utility, right? Like a similar to the internet itself, right? I mean, you're not people, even though there are companies that own pieces of the network for the internet, I mean, for the most part, it's pretty open, right? And so I could see cloud computing or edge computing becoming one of those things where everyone's participating in sort of this uh, as you said, kumbaya, sort of everyone, you know, <laughs> creating this thing together, um, but then building features and applications on top of it is is sort of where, um, you know, is sort of where the differentiation might be. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some pitfalls in thinking about it strictly as a utility, but like, but I, I like the, but like I, that direction, I think is reasonable, right? And like, again, just, you know, to reiterate my point, like, I, I really want us to compete over like the con like the content, like the meat of this problem, not over like the basics, not over the infrastructure yeah. itself. Right. So um, then another question is, I mean, talking about competition and sort of, you know, we talked about the hybrid piece. So do you see edge compute as being sort of a competitive thing to, you know, uh, public cloud providers, like where people could eventually host all their applications there? I know you, you mentioned that you, you see that sort of, I guess, the hybrid approach, but I'm just curious because there is this thing called fog computing, um, you know what I mean? Which is, and I, I don't know if maybe you can explain it, um, but where you're using a combination of all these different services, edge, um, and, uh, you know, potentially your own data center, public cloud, things like that, and mixing them all together. So is this something where you think it's just going to be all these things working together? Or um, is, is there going to be a niche space for purely edge computing services? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think there's definitely going to be a space for edge, like just purely edge compute services. Like we a lot of our services inside Fastly work exactly like this. You know, we, we do everything we can to avoid having a centralized component for almost right. anything, you know, and obviously there are quite a few things that we have to, but, um, but actually, yeah, I, I think that like the most common case is going to be that hybrid one. Um, you know, to me, edge computing, edge, edge only is always the ideal. Like, honestly, like, you know, if I set aside my own personal interests from this and say like, you know, honestly, client only is really the ideal, right? Because then there's no network involved. You don't have any of the failures associated with that. But of course, that, that's not realistic for most things. Um, edge only is the next best thing. And, but I think that realistically hybrid is going to be like where most applications land. Um, I would have a hard time trying to define fog computing because I remember reading about fog computing in like 2002 or something like that. The idea <laughs> has been around for a long time and I'm not sure what exactly it's evolved into at this point. But it sounds like based on what you said, similar to what we're talking about, right? Where like, ultimately, like, I think what developers are going to need to do is stop thinking about their application as a thing that runs in a place and start thinking about it as something that is actually spread across the whole network, right? right. Um, and again, I think we have kind of already gotten there to some extent when people think about their client 
as just being part of the same application. And so it's it's a much shorter hop now, I think, to get to get to like edge computing being part of it than it would have been, you know, a few years back. Yeah. No, that's yeah. a super interesting way to think of it. Um, because yeah, I mean that's one of the things is wrapping your head around that your your application does not run on a server somewhere anymore. It runs everywhere. And yeah. you need to be hyper aware of how that, what that means for communication, what that means for security, what that means for reliability, for resiliency, for all these other things, observability, like we talked about, that is a, um, that is not an easy thing for people to wrap their head around right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that like, oh man, I think that like the, honestly, the react developers out there are going to be in one of the like stronger positions to understand <laughs> and like, you know, really use this. Right, because yep. like React has this concept like built in. You have like the server only components, you have like the, the client only components that go along with it. Well, why not an edge only component? Or why not the ability to like move some of those between multiple different locations, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I think back to like, man, like the ASP.NET days when I was like doing that, you know, <laughs> in the early 2000s. And I'm like, you know, they, they had a couple of these concepts in there. They were almost there, right? right. You know, obviously right. it stuck around and there are plenty of .NET developers now. Um, we'll see. So, but that's an interesting point though. Just again, I mean, even early 2000s, even the 2010s, um, you know, we were, we were still just learning about microservices, right? And now we're doing serverless compute and, and we're doing uh, uh, containers and Kubernetes and all these other things that are just becoming, the technology is moving so quickly. And, and again, I, you know, serverless at this point is probably five, six years old, like a solid, maybe six years old, you know, if you think back to the beginning of Lambda. Um, but where, you know, with things moving so fast, I mean, I, I look at edge computing as like, you're still day zero, like, I mean, so, <laughs> so far to go, right? And sure. not to use the AWS term, but basically, you know, you're still right at the beginning. It's a very, very new thing. Um, so what's that path forward? Like what I always ask my, my, I always ask my guests, like, what do you think serverless computing is going to be in five years? Like, I, I'd love to ask you, like, where do you see cloud uh, or, or, uh, or edge computing being in five years? Yeah. So in some ways, I actually want it to, and this is such a, it's hard to put my finger on exactly what, what my answer is to this. Um, I simultaneously believe or, and want it to be, you know, obviously way more prevalent than it is now, right? Like I, I think that this will be a common piece of, of folks infrastructure. That said, I also believe that it won't be obvious that that's the case. Um, that like, this will just be another layer in your stack. Like this will right. just be part of what you naturally do, or you're not even thinking about it. Right. Like, you know, in the same way that you're not necessarily thinking about like the individual server that you spun up on AWS, right. Like, you know, just deploying onto Fastly or, or even, or even some other edge cloud network, like, you know, uh, rising tide raises all ships in, in, in this case, I think, um, I think will just be such a natural part of developing a high scale application that like, it won't even be a question. Right. Like you won't be, I won't necessarily have to be on podcasts explaining edge computing because people <laughs> will know what it is because they're using it. Right. Right. No, <laughs> um, that's, uh, but it, yeah, again, right. I think it's also, it's also going to change how we develop applications. Like as we were talking about earlier, right? Like, you know, it's hard to, you know, the, the entire concept of like a monolith application can't work in, in a situation like this. Right. It's already like, and we've already seen this broken down again from like the server to client division. Um, it's going to have to be broken down even further, in my opinion. I think we'll see that in the next five years. Yeah. 
That's crazy. Well, anyways, uh, I think there's a long way to go, but you're clearly doing some amazing work over at Fastly. So, uh, so thank you for that. Um, and thank you for being a guest and taking the time to talk with me. And I, I know I learn a lot from, or I learned a lot from talking to you. Hopefully, I'm so glad. Uh, hopefully the guests found this uh, enlightening. And I would say study up on edge computing because that's the that's the next thing we'll have to start a in edge computing chats at some point um but anyways uh so thanks again for being here um if people want to get a hold of you or learn more about what you're doing at fastly how do they do that uh so check out fastly.com you can find me at tyler at fastly.com um and i don't look at social media anymore so there you go well <laughs> that's that's not a bad thing these days so um, anyways well again tyler thank you so much um i really appreciate it yeah all right thanks for having me jeremy i appreciate it And that's this week's serverless chat. I want to give a huge thank you to Tyler McMullen for being my guest this week and to our sponsor, New Relic. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 84. For more serverless chats, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can connect with me on Twitter at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.